some games in recent weeks that it arguably did not deserve to. Now the team has seen the other side of that coin. Hello everybody, you are listening to Miami Total Football Radio, an inter-Miami focused podcast providing you all the latest news, updates, analysis, opinions, inside information, general punditry, and much more. We have been listened to in more than 50 countries and counting, which we take as a good sign, though it could just be that 50 plus countries have tuned in just to hear some of our shenanigans. We're also known as Miami Total Football Radio. And we are back for what should be the first of two episodes this week. My name is Franco Panizo. I am part of the usual co-hosting team. And joining me is another member of that group. He is the inimitable and famed Steve El Primo Brenner. Steve, how was your weekend? How did you celebrate the Mother's Day's festivities with the beloved Mrs. Primo, as you so hilariously enjoy calling her. Uh, thank you, mate. Good to, good to be back. Shame I missed out last week. I was ready to talk for the length of time. I was actually stuck at the uh, Miami City Hall uh, waiting for <laughs> the whole of this six-hour pod. Um, but unfortunately, it was uh, I was unavailable, sucked into a bit of Formula One, uh, which was cool. I think I'll touch on that at the end. But, uh, you know, the good and the great for my, the Miami sports scene, including our very own co-owner david beckham was there there was a great picture of beckham brady michael jordan and one other whose name escapes me now who else was there i can't remember it's pharrell or something like that who was who is the most famous and it was uh it was it was it was a tough call um unfortunately phil neville i didn't see him there and i think he had probably a few more pressing things on his mind rather than f1 i would have thought well there was a lot of people at the f1 event man bad bunny was there David Beckham was who? there. What do you, did you just say who when I said Bad Bunny? Is that the guy? Is that a clothing line? Are you are you being primo sarcasm just, funny like or you don't know anything about music or anything that dates back from sort of two thousand? Brother, you live in South Florida. You live no in South Florida, and Bad Bunny's one of the hottest artists like right now. Wow. Okay. I don't even want to know. I'll, I'll let the I'll let the listeners judge for themselves the, right. your lack of understanding of who Bad Bunny is. I'm not saying you got to listen to Bad Bunny's music. I didn't say that at all. But if you don't know who Bad Bunny is and you live in South Florida in 2022, well. But anyway, anyway, there were a lot of people there. There were some Inter Miami pl- uh, players there: DeAndre Yedlin, Leonardo Campana. I believe Ariel Lasseter was also in attendance. Romeo Beckham, uh, in- Inter Miami two player. So there was quite a few Inter Miami members in attendance i think chris henderson was also was also there but we're not going to talk about that we are going to talk about inter miami's most recent game which was a one to zero loss to charlotte fc of course we will also preview the upcoming game on tuesday night the u.s open cup match against south georgia tormenta fc we are going to do that with two special guests one is inter miami goalkeeper drake calendar and the other is Tormenta FC's head coach, Ian Cameron, who's a pretty young head coach if you look at it from an age perspective. He's only 33. So, interesting story there. Both of them actually, I think you'll enjoy their interviews. They both shared some interesting, interesting remarks. Steve, we've got a lot to talk about. Do you want to add anything about your football manager? Because, let's be honest, let's be honest. I feel like when I was watching the stream of the the public vote, the whole six-hour thing, and I saw you in the background in one of the shots... I think I sent you a picture at one point on WhatsApp. It looked like you were playing football manager to me, man. It looked I like your eyes were glossed was... over and you had to play some football manager. No, I wasn't. There were some Inter-Miami officials sat pretty close <laughs> to me. So I think as Jorge Mass was giving a very impassioned plea about Miami Freedom Park, if they saw me rearranging my Borussia Dortmund <laughs> under-19 team, 
right in the middle of it, I think that wouldn't have gone down uh, very well at all. I wouldn't blame you if you had played, though, because parts of that I was like, all right, can we just get on with it? And I, was, I wasn't even there for the six hours, and I didn't even tune in for the six hours. I tuned in for the last two or three hours on the computer. I mean, I had it on throughout the day, but the, I, I really had it on, and I was, was keeping a closer eye the last two two or so hours. And, I mean, I was just like, come on, man. Can you guys just get on with it already? Wow. It, 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 I mean, if you were in there... Or if I was in there, maybe I would have played football manager and no. taking your laptop. Especially not with Damian Lowe and Victor Lowe sitting very close to me. Again, that would not also not have been uh, good. I did, and I felt sorry for those two guys because you know they were wheeled out, you know, um, you know, as as sort of first team players, and then would literally start there for about five hours until they <laughs> could eventually leave. Hey, but if you signed them in your football perfect. manager, maybe maybe they would have been okay with it. Maybe they would have. Maybe been they would have, <laughs> I have, to, I have to sign one of them. I don't think either would get in my Prussia Dortmund team right now, but. You know, these are the small details. These are the small details. But, okay, Steve, it's that time. Let's get to it. Okay, guys, so as I mentioned before, Inter-Miami took to the road on Saturday afternoon, the first ever trip for the franchise to Bank of America Stadium to take on expansion side Charlotte FC. Inter-Miami came out in a... You could say a 4-3-3 or you could call it a 4-2-3-1. I will continue to insist that it's a 4-3-3. So this was the starting lineup. You had Drake Callender at the back. Your back four from right to left. DeAndre Yedlin, Christopher McVeigh, the debuting Ryan Saylor, Kieran Gibbs returning to the lineup. Your midfield three were Gene Mota as the six. Gregory and Bryce Duke ahead of him. And then your front three from right to left was the returning Indiana Vasilev, the healthy Leonardo Campana, and Robbie Robinson there on that left flank. Inter Miami loses 1-0 off a goal from Andre Shinyashiki in the 68th minute off of an assist from Jordi Reina. So that's the only goal in the game. Inter Miami played pretty well in this one. Actually, I'll take that back. They did not play pretty well, but... They had the better chances. They had the better chances. And they did have some good moments of football. They had some good moments with the ball. Better than what we've seen for a lot of this season. But no goals. They weren't able to put the ball into the back of the net. And that obviously cost them and proves their undoing. Steve, you watched the game. You kept an eye on it. What is your biggest takeaway or your overall analysis of the match? finish just hit the keeper's legs i think the, the better chance was vasilev just a little bit after that as well you know another decent save by the keeper but maybe should have should have tested him a, a bit more and it was always going to be one of those games wasn't it just one goal either way and unfortunately you know they they conceded and and and, and that but that was it kieran gibbs had another chance 52nd minute in the, in the second half so they were creating chances and it's just on another day you know, it, it could have gone in. It was just, yeah, it's a cliche, but just one of the one of those one of those games. Unfortunately, and I think every, every time they kind of go behind, I don't fancy them to. Uh, maybe that's my football manager anxiety creeping in. But once they go one <laughs> down, they just never never look like it. And I think you agree. Once once they once they conceded, it didn't look like they were going to get back in it, did it? Well, they've given up a few goals early this year, and then they've come back. And Atlanta was one game yeah. that I believe they gave up an early goal, and they came back and won. New England Revolution, they also gave up an early goal, and they came back and won. But for me in this game, 
from what we saw, I thought Inter Miami was the more dangerous of the two teams. I don't think they were the better team in terms of with the ball, playing with the ball, but they were more dangerous. They created the more clear-cut opportunities. And because of that, I don't think that they deserve to lose. I think a draw, at least a draw, would have been a more fair result for them given what we saw over the course of the 90 minutes. But that's part of the beautiful game. You can play well or you can be the more dangerous team and you can not win. And Inter Miami knows that as well as anyone because some of the games they had won, you could say it's arguable, but some of the games they had won, they probably did not deserve to win. That New England Revolution game, the where they won 3-2, Leonardo Campana hat-trick, that one probably deserved to finish in a, in a tie, in a 2-2 tie, but then obviously the Revolution goalkeeper makes a, a mistake in the late few minutes, in the last few minutes, and Campana gets that third one and Inter Miami comes out on top. So obviously Inter Miami deserved more out of this one. But they don't get it, despite having some great looks. Like, as you mentioned, Gibbs had two, Vasilev had one, and and they just weren't able to put them away. Christian Kalina, the Charlotte FC goalkeeper, he came up with some, some pretty good saves and some game-saving stops. So, obviously, from uh, it's, hard, it's a hard pill to swallow for Inter-Miami. But if there's a silver lining, it's that they created some chances with some good football. They just obviously did not win. If they can repeat that, then, you know, that, that's, a, that's a step in the right direction for this team because they have not been all that dangerous with the ball uh, for large stretches this year. And, and even when they have been, it's been more counterattacking. Some of these moments were some good combination play in the final third. Uh, that first Kieran Gibbs opportunity, if I'm not mistaken, comes from Bryce Duke feeding Gibbs. Gibbs hitting Robinson in the penalty area and Robinson receiving it and then laying it off back to Gibbs for the shot. So there were some good moments from Inter-Miami, some better soccer, some better football, but again, no no points to show for it. Now, before we jump into the attack, because there's plenty to talk about with regards to Inter-Miami with the ball, let's start at the back because there were some changes there and I thought that was a big challenge for Inter-Miami going into it. How would that back line hold up given that Damian Lowe was suspended, Amema Bika was out injured, and Nick Marsman, who had been dealing with a back injury, he did not train last Tuesday, but he trained on Thursday, but he was a scratch, he was not with the team, so he was unavailable, and Drake Callender got the start instead. The back line held up pretty well, you mentioned it. Drake Callender was called upon quite a bit in that first opening half hour, but he made every save he had to make. He wasn't overly, overly tested, but he made the saves he had to make, Ryan Saylor, the rookie, who was taken in the MLS draft in January, if I'm not mistaken, he makes his Inter-Miami first team debut after playing with the second team over the past couple of weeks. What did you think of his performance? I thought he was very, very solid in his first game at the MLS level. Yeah, solid, you know, dependable. He looked, he looked pretty okay on the ball. Um, yeah, just had that all-round sort of game, defensive game, which you think, you know, could... Uh, Definitely, definitely works in, in MLS. There's probably nothing massively outstanding about him, but just did, yeah, just did the, the solid things pretty pretty well, really. Uh, but it is a problem moving forward, isn't it? You know, that's the why they want to try and get as big a roster as possible to, like, um, you know, make sure that when they do get injuries, they're not shortchanged. And it's, you know, it's difficult. Once you get two or three injuries in key positions, you're then sort of scrapping around trying to, you know, 
trying to find the requisite quality to come to come back in. But I thought he did pretty well. He showed some good uh, composure and calmness with the ball, especially for his first game away from home with the, the Charlotte FC faithful there. And they obviously turned out a good, a good amount of fans. And their stadium was rocking from all accounts. I wasn't there, but from what I've heard, it was, uh, it was a rocking house. And he, he, like, there was one play where he went on a marauding, dribbling run forward, and he showed some composure to get into the attacking, the attacking half and the attacking third. So I, I liked what I saw from the rookie. It's one game, so let's not get carried away. But the, the early returns are encouraging. And if he can min- maintain this level, then that makes it very interesting for Phil Neville at the back because he's got quite a few options. They're not all healthy. They're not all available right now, but he's got quite a few options back there. Damian Lowe, Mayma Bika, Ryan Saylor, Christopher McVeigh, Jairo Quinteros. There's there's quite a few options to choose from. So we'll see if if Ryan Saylor can keep this up. He might have to start again on on Tuesday night in the Open Cup game. Obviously, Jairo Quinteros is available for that match, the Bolivian International because he he has served his one-game suspension in MLS play. Available for the Open Cup game. Does Phil Neville stick with Sailor after the debut, or does he go to Quinteros? It'll be an interesting decision. We'll see what he does there. But again, early returns for Ryan Sailor were positive. Indiana Vasilev. He returns to Inter-Miami, Steve. A player that scored some goals, some key goals last year, on loan from Aston Villa. He returns again on loan, on a season-long loan, through the rest of the MLS campaign. We thought he had been part of the purge, the roster purge that happened this offseason, but Inter-Miami reacquires him, and he makes his debut within a matter of a few days. Now, he was announced late last week after we recorded, so this is the first time we're talking about his reintegration into the group, but he also had his season debut, so... Let's start with his return. What do you think it means? What do you think him coming back to Inter Miami means for him, and what it means for the state of the roster? Well, another you know another body, isn't it? He's pretty versatile. You know, he's again, he's not like a guy that I think he is. Sorry, he is a guy that could potentially be a you know guaranteed first team starter. I think he's lively, he's energetic, gets up and down the, the pitch pretty well. He's got good experience. You know, he's come from from Aston Villa. Didn't really get a look in there. They signed Philippe Coutinho, and there was a change of manager, so he's never really going to get. Looking, it's clear that's where he wanted to 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 stay. You know, when we spoke to him, I thought he was a little bit sort of spiky about that. I think he probably hurts a bit that he wasn't really wanted there. But great for Inter Miami. I think at this level, he's a, he's a really good player, and I think it gives Phil Neville a lot of options. You know, you can even I think defensively he he could do pretty well as well. I think he's 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 athletic. He's pretty durable. So um, yeah, I think it's a I think it's a positive positive move, and also. You know, knows knows the club, knows the you know the people behind the scenes, so that also helps in terms of settling in. Yeah, no, absolutely. That familiarity will be key for him, and it will be key for the team. And it was key because he he walked back into the lineup after just a couple of days of being in South Florida and being back with the team. He obviously, knows Phil Neville. Phil Neville knows him from having been on you know having worked together last year in in 2021. So look for me, what it says that they reacquired him is that they're not overly convinced with the starting wingers that they have that's just how i read it that's how i interpret it obviously ariel Lester and robbie robinson have gotten the bulk of the starts out out wide but neither has been overly convincing through what are we at 10 11 games that inter miami has played so far this season they've had their moments but neither has been overly convincing the introduction or the reintroduction of indiana vasilev to me 
says they need more competition there. They need another potential starting caliber player there. And if he went back into the lineup or he was put into the lineup on a few days' notice or on short notice after arriving back in South Florida on Thursday, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correct, then I think that that speaks to them looking for more in the attack, looking more out of the wing position. Because Inter-Miami is a team that up to this point, when it's enjoyed some success in the attacking third, it's come from wide play, finding Campana or finding the striker in the middle. It's, you know, DeAndre Yedlin's cross against the Seattle Sounders, Ariel Lasseter and and Robbie Robinson feeding Campana against the New England Revolution. The goals have a pretty proven formula up until this point. So if Inter-Miami is going to be a team that stresses wide play, then it needs more effective wide play. It's something we've talked about in recent pods. I was critical of Ariel Lester against the Seattle Sounders. Robbie Robinson has been not hasn't been great. He hasn't been great. And we, we will touch on that in just a bit. But now going back to Vasilev here, in terms of his performance, what did you think of what you saw from him against Charlotte FC? Yeah, well, you know, wasn't able to get in the game entirely, was he? But showed some some nice some nice chances. But again, the margins are so fine, aren't they? If we would have put that put that chance away, then you know we'd have been talking about it in different ways. You know what a signing. You know blah blah. He's what an effect he's had. But shows that he he can get into the box. He's he's got goals in his locker. Um, he's in the he's in the right positions. It was just like I say, it's one of those days where it just it just couldn't it just couldn't sort of break down Charlotte, especially after they scored. They went pretty defensive. It was hard to hard to get a sort of you know a, a grip a grip in, into the game. So uh, we've only got a small sample size to deal with now. It'll be interesting to see what kind of team he plays. In, in the cup uh, this this midweek, I think that's just a good opportunity for these guys to get some real more minutes under their belt against a lower opposition team and to really sort of stake a claim for, for, for the next match. I thought he had some good attacking ideas. I thought he brought a different element than maybe Ariel Lasseter or Robbie Robinson do when they're out there. A little bit more football, a little bit more soccer. Wasn't perfect, and he wasn't wow, but he brought a different element, and I think that's much needed for Inter-Miami. Obviously, should have put that goal away, the one on the one opportunity he had, or he should have done better on there. But even with that, and even though they lost, I think it was a positive return for him, something to build on, and something that Phil Neville will, on the balance, have enjoyed. But I think this Inter-Miami team, even though it had its moments in this game, I acknowledge and recognize that it had its moments in this game with the ball, it's still, by and large, in the attack, looks a bit lost and doesn't look to have that many attacking ideas and you know you could look at a bunch of different players when when did Robbie Robinson have a stupendous game this year when has Ariel Lasseter had a stupendous game this year when is Gene Mota one of the key offseason additions when have we seen him deliver an incredible game this season or a very good game this season Robert Taylor another game when yeah when him and him and Robert Taylor wasn't it against Atlanta that the, the game at home when they won? I wasn't um, I wasn't that sold on him. He played. I know Phil Phil Neville was high on him, and, and he played. That was the first game that that Gene Mota occupied this number six role that he's been playing in as of late. But I I wasn't fully enamored with the performance I saw. But that's that's just my opinion, my analysis. I just I still I think there's still more that needs to be given from these players, whether it's Gene Mota, Robert Taylor, Lasseter. Robbie Robinson, there, there's more that they need to give this team because this team is amongst those in the league with fewest goals, with fewest goals. And again, Campana has been, he scored five of the nine goals that Inter Miami has to this point in the season. 
Two, two others have come from Gonzalo Higuain. One has come from Robbie Robinson. And the other one has come from... I'm trying to remember, trying to think off the top of my head here. Help me if you can. I can't. <laughs> okay. Well, there's another goal in there somewhere. Somebody has a goal and I don't know why I'm blanking. I actually spoke to this. Rex Shea? No, 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 no. I, I... Bryce Duke? Bryce Duke. There you go. Good job. Yes, Bryce Duke. Yes. Good job. Good job, Steve. Yes. See? I had just talked to my brother about this yesterday, and we actually I had named all of them. I could I can't believe I couldn't remember it, but good assist there, very good. But regardless, again, this team still with the ball to me. Short improvements in this game. That's something to build on. Something to that you could take as a positive, but it needs to do more of that because often in this game, still when they had the ball, didn't look that clear with it. Looked sloppy at times. It's still I know it's still a work in progress, but that has to that has to improve. Something else that I think has to improve before we, we switch gears to a different topic is Inter-Miami's defensive transitioning. And I, wa- I want your thoughts on this, Steve, because we haven't spoken about this, not even via chat. What are your thoughts on how they've played in terms of their defensive transitioning? Because when Inter-Miami's in a block, when they when the other team has the ball and the other team's trying to break them down, Inter-Miami does a, has done, a, you know at least during this recent stretch, a solid job of being tough to break down, or more tough to break down than it was maybe at the start of the season. But when they have the ball, and then they give up the ball, that's when there's a lot of spaces in behind, and I don't think they're great at defensive transitioning, at least as of late. The Charlotte FC goal comes off of them losing the ball in the final third, not getting back into shape quickly enough. Phil Neville noted that post-game. And then Jordi Reyna hits in a good cross in from, from Charlotte FC's left flank to the back post, and, and the ball is pushed home or fired home. But when Charlotte had its better attacking moments they moved the ball well they passed the ball well but they didn't create a lot from those strings of possession when they had their better moments even in the first half in my opinion my analysis was when Inter Miami lost the ball cheaply and Charlotte FC counterattacked, and they couldn't turn those those opportunities into goal scoring chances or even goals because a lot of their touches were off. Like, it was really bad in the first half. I even tweeted out something like, is the turf monster out there? Because they, they were falling over. Charlotte FC players were falling over. They weren't controlling the ball cleanly, despite being open. If they had been a little bit more polished, I think they could have tested Drake Callender a bit more in that first half. But they weren't. But again, the overall point is that I think Inter Miami, in terms of their defensive transitions, they've been, they've been struggling there. And that's going to be key on Tuesday. Because Inter Miami is expected to have the ball against an inferior opponent. And they're going to have to either break them down very quickly to get those goals and, and take the lead and, and have a comfortable feeling throughout the game. If they don't, then they have to be very, very weary, uh, wary of the defensive transitioning because up until now, as of late, I think that's been a weakness. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's all about it's about confidence for some of it as well, isn't it? If you've got a brand new back line, as we as we had did did see at the definitely changes anyway. Um, you know, there's not going to be the confidence there to stop, you know, spraying the ball around and, and, and knocking it. They're going to get it and then they're going to keep on, just just keep moving the ball, keep moving the ball, maybe going a bit di- more direct sometimes. So I think that probably affects the, the transitioning. As you um, as you said, it's not as smooth, but then when you make changes in the defence, gonna, that's going to happen. I also don't think the turf helps at all. So again, again, supposedly inferior opposition on, on Tuesday night, they're probably going to have more time on the ball so you're going to be able to see them maybe moving it between the between the, the blocks in a in a better more you know sort of rapid way than, than we probably did see 
on on Saturday when they were kind of you know it was so tight up against it you know maybe that was the kind of game where it didn't call for so much possession at, at the back and not and you know maybe they went went maybe a little bit more direct because they thought that was probably going to be more more fruitful for them moving forward. Now defensively. Obviously, when you transition, the back line has to be tight and has to do its job. But it's also on the midfielders to get back in position as well. And again, it's it's team thing, I think. And I think that's where they've had a few letdowns as of as of late. That's where they've been weak, especially against Charlotte. Especially against Charlotte. Charlotte didn't score until the second half. But in that first half, when they started to look dangerous, was not necessarily when they had the ball. It was when they started to hit back in quick, quick counterattacks. So something I'm sure Phil Neville will look to be fine-tuning and addressing ahead of Tuesday night's match, and then obviously this weekend's match against DC United. I want to touch on one more player in specific, and that's Robbie Robinson. Primo, what have you thought about Robbie Robinson's season? Because I'm I'm of the belief now that he's starting to enter bust territory in terms of him being a draft pick and and living up to expectations or not. I, I'm, I'm of the belief, I'm not saying he's there yet, but I'm of the belief that he's starting to enter bust territory i just don't see enough from him from the run of play don't see enough from him in the final third i'm just not seeing enough i don't know what your thoughts are but i ask you steve is is robbie robinson starting to enter bust territory well i think it's quite telling isn't it that every time we asked or people have asked phil neville about robbie robinson he's given very short snappy answers as if he's as irritated way, yes, yes by the fact that you know um he's waiting for this player to come out and it just is not, it's just not happening. And it's a shame because we do see it in little fits and spurts, but you would have thought with, you know, um, with, you know, Pizarro not there or Matuidi or any of these guys that this was a chance for him to really step up. He is still a young player, but you know, he's got two seasons under his, under right. his belt. This is, this is year three. This is year three. Yeah. He needs yeah, to yeah, be yeah. like, now he needs to be producing. It's not like, yeah. okay, he's, he's growing into the professional game. I mean, I'm sure he still is. But it's year three, and these players are paid to produce, and he's not producing as an attacking player. And that just from a statistic standpoint, and I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, but just from a statistic standpoint, it's clearly not there. The production hasn't been there. And then for me, from an eye test, I also don't see it. But maybe you see a little bit more from, from the eye test. I don't know what your thoughts are about his no, overall play, his overall yeah. play. No, <laughs> He's doing the bare minimum, isn't he, to sort of stay in the in the mat in the in the team without really producing producing week in week out, and I think that's why Phil Neville's getting he's get he's getting irritated, and he does need it to step up because when Campania or or you know isn't didn't find the net like he didn't on Saturday, you need other guys to sort of weigh in. Maybe Vasilev coming back will give him a sort of rocket up his backside that he needs to um you know to to sort of take his his game on, but. You know, you, I don't think this is a team where you can just carry carry players. You know, they need everyone needs to sort of be producing decent performances. You know, for the for the gain of the whole team, and um, it's just not happening for him right now. And I think that's why you know Phil Neville's getting pretty exasperated with him at the moment. But he keeps starting him though. That's so. That's like I don't think he has a choice, does he? I mean, well now now he's, now he's got Indiana Vasilev, so now he's got another well, piece. Go. And you know, he has Emerson Rodriguez, so you could say Emerson Rodriguez could be an option though. Phil Neville's comments throughout the course of the season have made it seem like Rodriguez is more of a longer-term project. And I think we've seen that because he's only played mostly in 10-minute in or so cameos off the bench. But nonetheless, there are more options now with Vasilev in. But I agree with you in that Robinson's not producing. And 
Look, just to analyze his game against Charlotte. I saw a player that wants to take people on, but doesn't do so aggressively enough or assertively enough. He slows the rhythm down. Like, what what is one of Robbie Robinson's, or what would you say is Robbie Robinson's key strength as a player from what you've seen? Um... I think he's he's pretty quick. He's pretty quick. Right, absolutely, 100%. And I'm going to cut you off there. He's pretty quick. Yet when he dribbles with the ball and he faces up against the defender in a one-on-one situation, he doesn't use that speed. You don't see him try to blaze by the guy. You see him try to do feints or maybe not feints. You see him slow down on the ball and you see him try to do a cut back here or a cut back there. And he just slows down the attack and slows down the rhythm of the attack. When one of his key strengths is... Speed on the ball, or speed, just speed in general. So I don't. I'm. I get that he's being probably tasked with going at players one on one situations, but he has to use that speed more. He's not a player that has the most dribbling skills. It's not like he's juking players left and right. Yes, he can. He can pull off a nifty cutback here and there, but it's not like he's doing you know the scissor feints or or anything of the like. So he's not using his strengths, which is his speed. And then he's also slowing the attack down. And on top of that, something that this is just my personal opinion and my analysis, he goes it alone way too often. Way too often. And it's frustrating to watch. I, I can imagine Phil Neville, he might not voice it publicly, but I can imagine Phil Neville's pretty frustrated because Robbie Robinson goes it alone. He opts to just try to play individually more often than not. Like the last resort is a pass. It seems like it. Like the last resort for him is a pass. There was one play in the... Is it in the second half? Maybe no, it was the first half. Maybe it was the first half. <clears throat> yeah, in the first half, where he dribbles down the flank and he cuts inside, and he keeps dribbling before passing the ball to maybe Gene Mota or somebody. But he like brought the whole he brought his mark closer to Gene Mota, and it's, it just doesn't it doesn't it's not a soccer savvy play. Move the ball, free yourself. Get into the open space instead of bringing your mark closer to the guy you're passing it to and giving him less space to operate in. I just, I, I'm, it's been very, very frustrating watching Robbie Robinson on Saturday and over the course of his time at Inter Miami. And I, I, th- I do think it's, it's not yet. It's not time yet to put the label of bust on him as a, as a rookie draft pick. But he's getting close because he, he need, or he's starting to get close because he needs to start producing. You know, Iguain's not out there anymore, so if Iguain was weighing on him because of his persona and his personality, then, you know, that, that excuse now is out the window because he's playing with, with Leonardo Campana and, and Indiana Vasilev, Ariel Lasser. He's playing with different players. So, you know, he, he absolutely has to step up, and if he doesn't very soon, I can definitely see him fall out of the team because at least Ariel Lasseter, for as limited as he is in the final third, and I was critical of him after the Seattle Sounders game for how poor he was there and how he wasted opportunities... At least he gives you a threat because he's direct and he knows he's direct and he can and he races forward and gives you that 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 weapon and he's also decent at combining with DeAndre Yedlin, DeAndre Yedlin from what we've seen so far. So Robbie Robinson needs to show more. If he doesn't, absolutely think Phil Neville will drop him from the lineup. I think he should drop him. To be honest with you, I think it's time. I know the fact that he keeps going to him maybe is a sign of a lack of options. But I think I think we're getting close to the time where Robbie Robinson maybe maybe dropped from the lineup. Anything you want to add there? It's Otherwise, a shame, we're switching gears. It? It's a shame because there is a there is a good player in there. There is a player in there somewhere. 
Uh, she's trying to she's trying to get him out, I guess. I I I don't. I've said this since game one in 2020. I, you know, from a personal preference standpoint, just my optics, and I'm not a scout, but I just don't see a lot of qualities there that will translate to being a regular starter in MLS. I don't see it. I don't see it. Maybe maybe he's good. He's not bad on the ball. Just but he's not. He's not technical. He's not a technical player. He 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 rarely uses that left foot. Rarely, he slows the play down when he should be an explosive player that uses his speed. He's not necessarily the most crafty dribbler, but yet he decides to try to dri- dribble and he over dribbles and takes too many touches. Like I I don't I I have very serious questions about Robbie Robinson and look I, I believe and this is MLS rules so this could be a bit difficult to explain but he's on an generation adidas contract from when he was signed as a as a prospect coming out of college so i believe he does not count against the cap and throughout the duration of his this initial contract with mls and with inter miami i believe so that could be a reason why they keep him another year or so but if he wasn't on that type of deal if he was on a regular rookie type of deal i think they could they would have parted ways with him Sure. Maybe this past winter or at some point this season because he's just not producing. He's not pro- and these players, yeah. you know, that's what they're paid to do. They're paid to produce. It's a simple way of looking at it, and it could be it could sound harsh and cold, but that's what they're paid to do. They're paid to go out there on the field and produce, and we have not seen that from Robbie Robinson through two years and some change, not consistently anyway. Quickly, let's touch on two more things before we end this segment. One of them is set pieces, something I asked Phil Neville about after the game. We touched on corners. He made a good point that Inter-Miami, because of the way they play, is not generating a whole lot of corner kicks this season. That's a good point. But overall, they do have other set pieces. They have other free kicks. So if you if you combine all that, Inter-Miami still has not scored a goal from those set pieces, from those dead ball situations this year. And we are now 10 games into the season, so we're almost a third of the way there. Inter-Miami historically, and I've had to bang this drum over the last two-plus seasons, has not been good at set-pieces, historically. It took them until late in 2020 to do so, to score off of a set-piece. It took them late into 2021 to start doing so, although they did score off of a few there late on, maybe two, three, or four, something along those lines. I'd have to really go back and look. This year, they have not scored off of a dead ball situation like that. Yes, penalty kicks, but I'm removing penalty kicks from this equation. They signed tall center backs this offseason with the idea that they wanted to be more dangerous on set pieces. Something that was said in preseason, I think by Chris Henderson, if I'm not mistaken, again. My my, memory's, it, my memory might be a little faulty right now. It's it's uh, it's Monday, so you know I'm still shaking off the, the weekend cobwebs. But... They still haven't scored off a set piece, and that has to improve. Because even if you only have a few corner kicks or a few free kicks to whip in, if you're a team that is not generating all that much from the run of play, generally speaking, then there has to be a premium on your set pieces. Especially when you have a member of the staff that has the title set piece specialist. Your thoughts, Steve? Well, yeah, I mean, like you say, they've, they've started, they're a big, big team when you think of. of uh... Mabika, and you think of Damian Lowe, and then Campagna. Um, you know they've got some big sort of units in there, so they should be doing 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 much better, I guess. Yeah, they, that's where the money. That's where the set piece guy to, earns his earns his corn. I guess it is a new team. 
in terms of this this season. So, but yeah, they need to be it needs to be bearing its fruit, you know, now really because they're they're the kind of just marginal marginal gains that you can just that can win or win or lose matches, can win titles. It's just everything. It's those little bits, and you know, they need they need all the goals that they can they can find because sometimes from open play they find it difficult to to score. Exactly, and that's why I think there's even though they might not produce that much or get that many calls or whatever, they still need to put. This, there's more of a premium than for them to put some of those chances, start turning some of those chances, uh, or turning some of those opportunities into chances and into goals. Right now, Inter Miami has nine goals through ten games. That is second lowest in the Eastern Conference. Chicago Fire is the only team behind Inter Miami in that regard, and. No coincidence, Chicago Fire's in 14th and last place in the East, Inter-Miami's in 13th. So that has to improve that regard, absolutely, because that will help open things up for a team that, from an attacking standpoint, is limited. So I think they, they need to find a way. They have the, the targets now, they have taller players, they have a few more of them. Obviously, they're not all on the field at the same time. I don't know if it's the delivery of the set-piece taker, I mean, I'd have to really analyze it more, but... They need to start finding a way to become more dangerous from that aspect of play. It's something they said they wanted to do at the start of the year, and we still have not seen that. So another area where Inter-Miami is falling short. But anyway, Steve, let's leave it there. We'll take a quick break. We're going to come back and get to our interviews with Ian Cameron and Drake Callender. We will do that after this. I feel as if it's not a result that we deserve. There's, there's times when you lose a game as a coach, maybe Cincinnati or things like that, where, where you've just got to take your hands up and said we were beaten by the better team. I didn't think that tonight. I thought we were the better team. Uh, and there was a lots of positive to take from this, this game. And uh, we're entering a stretch of games now where, where we just need to keep that level of performance and keep getting better, but be more ruthless. We need to score them chances that we're getting. We need to put them in the back of the net and, and the game would have been finished. So that's my disappointment. I've told the players that I was disappointed at the end of the game to lose the game, uh, but not disappointed in their efforts or their commitment to try and get something from the game or to try and get a result. Okay, everybody, it's time to preview Tuesday night's game between Inter-Miami and Tormenta FC with a member of Inter-Miami... He is goalkeeper Drake Callender, who got the start this past weekend in the 1-0 loss to Charlotte FC. Probably a good shout to start again on Tuesday, given that he started against Miami FC, but we'll see what decision Phil Neville goes with. But nonetheless, Drake, thank you so much for joining us, especially on Mother's Day. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing great. Yeah, I mean, um, of course, Sunday is always like the end of the week. Um, we are in today. For recovery after our match yesterday and just you know getting prepared for the next week but yeah. overall body's feeling good mind's feeling good and uh, ready to get after it again and, and you've already started that recovery and starting the new week process by going to the beach on sunday morning tell us a little bit about your visit to the beach because i imagine you guys traveled back what yesterday evening last night and then probably went to sleep and then today waking up early and getting everything ready again yeah, I mean, yeah, we got back not too late last night. Um, was able to get, you know, my normal amount of sleep in, just normally seven to eight, seven to eight hours. But um, we were in a, we were in an hour later today, so I saw an opportunity to to wake up and um, go to the ocean, get in the water. Uh, I always something that I I enjoy doing just because I feel like it's good for my for my body and also good for my mental health you know being able to wake up um, 
get my vitamin D, get my sunshine, helps out with my circadian rhythm. Um, and also just to get in the water, you know, it's the water is somewhat warm. You know, it's maybe for some, it's a little too cold, but for me, I, I think it's, I think it's a good temperature. So just to do a little bit of swimming, um, it's low pressure on the joints and on the body. So it's just a, it's just a great way to start the day, you know, being able to connect with nature like that. And, and you love, you like the beach, you're a California kid. So you definitely enjoy a good, good beach day. I, I feel like a lot of the social media posts I've seen of you since you've been with Intermind has been, uh, at the beach. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Growing up in Northern California, um, most of the beach days were a little bit chilly. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely when I spent time in SoCal, you know, I'd go to the beach, but um, I was a big like forest and mountains guy growing up. So okay. um, the beach has kind of filled that uh, connection to nature for me. Nice. Um, and yeah, it's a little different, but it's grown on me uh, nice. since my uh, time here. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, I feel like I've seen quite a few posts. So definitely, feel mm-hmm. like I de- if you guys want to see Drake Calendar out of Inner Miami gear, just go to the beach. You're bound to run into him <laughs> at some point. Drake, yeah. just quickly diving into it because I don't want to take up too much of your time. Before we jump into Tuesday night's game, I want to talk about obviously Saturday afternoon, almost a Saturday night, but Saturday afternoon against Charlotte FC. It was a hard fought effort. I agree with Phil Neville in that I don't think you guys deserve to lose. You guys had the clearer chances, but obviously the one to zero result uh, that does not go your your way, your favor. What's your analysis now? You've had a little bit more time to digest and think about it, and I don't know if you've, we've watched the game or we watched the highlights, but just what have you thought about the game now? A few hours, a few more hours removed. Yeah, overall, I mean, I think it was a really competitive game. Like, there's a lot of chances on both sides. Um, I think playing away from home. You know, without home field advantage, it was important for us to be composed and to handle the pressure well. Um, yeah, I felt like everyone was pretty comfortable on the ball. Uh, yeah, it's turf, but yeah, it's something that we have to uh, adapt to throughout the year just because not all fields are going to be the same. Um, so it was really just like having a good mentality going into the game and really just applying the pressure even away from home and just making sure that we're doing the basics right, um, covering each other, um, winning second balls, 50-50s. And I think overall there was, there was a lot of really good moments, but also some things that we can improve on. Was that the toughest part of it? The toughest, I guess, the what made the pill most bitter to swallow is that you guys at least probably deserved a point out of it. I think, I think that's even I've talked to some Charlotte people that, that work for the team over there, and you know everyone said, everyone that watched the game can say, Inter Miami had the clear chances. Does that make it a bit harder to swallow the defeat, not even getting a point out of out of a very valiant, very hard fought effort on the road? Yeah, I mean this game was a big opportunity for us. Um, you know, I think any point that we can gain, whether it's a tie or a win, is going to help us in the long run. And yeah, it's like a long season, but every single game matters. So um, I think for us, for how we played, we felt like we d- we deserved more. But you know that sports sometimes, um, you know, you're able to come through with points, and sometimes you don't. And you know, credit to Charlotte for also having a good performance. Um, you know, they they fought really hard, and um, it was it was really fun game to be in. You know, just yeah. at the end, you wish you were you had that feeling of you know, getting, getting the points and winning. But um, regardless, you know, we have to, um, I guess, swallow the hard pill and keep moving forward because we have like a seven-game month. So um, yeah. you have to, you know, 
figure out how we're going to react and respond to this going forward. Now, quickly, you touched on it being a fun game to be a part of. They kept you pretty busy, at least in the first half, the first 20, 25 minutes, maybe even 30 or so. They, they had quite a few shots you grabbed onto, I think, every single one of them. They, even the, the commentators on uh, on the broadcast in Spanish were saying, Tiene un imán en la juantes, which means like you had a, a magnet in your in your gloves. Because the <laughs> ball just kept, you know, you just kept catching it. It wasn't even like you had to parry him away. It was like you were catching the ball. You know, for you, obviously... As, as one of the backup goalkeepers that doesn't start every single game, how have you felt, and I think I asked you this after the Miami FC game, how have you felt about your individual performances? Obviously, it's a bit of a challenge when you're not playing regularly to come in and, and find that rhythm and um, be able to pick it up, but you've done a, a good job at it. So how have you felt overall about your individual performances, especially after Saturday? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was somewhat pleased. You know, there's always things that, you know, you feel like you could have done better at, um, you know, being a goalkeeper, there's always something, whether it's your positioning, whether it's your depth on the line, uh, your decision-making, there's always something that you feel like you can improve. But overall, I felt like I had a lot of confidence yesterday and I was able to you know, help my team stay in the game. Um, you know, I think my defense did really well too. Like they're, they didn't really have many chances inside the box except for um, the goal so they did a good job of uh ensuring that a lot of the chances that they had came outside the box and uh, I, I felt pretty comfortable with with the uh, shots that i faced yesterday and uh, and again like you know I, I i i always think of how um i can help out my team and sometimes um, if i'm able to hold on to the ball then again that just kills the play and uh they don't we don't we don't have to worry about a corner kick or um, a rebound and so that was something that you know I think after the first couple saves you know it kind of gave me a lot of confidence um, and it helped me throughout the game yeah now it was a bit of a surprise for a lot of us on the outside to see you get the start obviously Nick Marsman has been dealing with somewhat of an injury but he did train on Thursday from what we could see so we were we were on the outside fully expecting Nick Marsman to start he didn't you got the nod when did you know you were starting uh, against Charlotte FC um Pretty much on Friday. Okay. Um, yeah, it was kind of a quick turnaround, but you are always ready at this level. You know, anything can happen. Um, and, you know, that is something that, you know, being a backup is you don't know when you make it to shower. You don't know when your opportunity can come. But when your opportunity does come, you better make sure that you're ready. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been a theme for me this year is just being prepared for that opportunity. Um, and I was glad I was able to come in and make an impact. Yeah. Now, I do want to ask you about one moment in particular, and this goes back to preseason. Um, and there was only three of us, three of us that watched the game against CF Montreal. Um, mm-hmm. And it was a preseason game. There's a lot of changes, a lot of substitutions that are made. So that obviously interrupts the flow of the game. But you committed two errors late on in that one. Um, and then, you know, Inter Miami lost that game 2-1 to one in part because of those mistakes how much did you learn from that? Even though it's preseason, even though it's not in front of a full house, even though um, it's not as much pressure, I'm sure the coaching staff talked to you afterwards. I actually heard, I've heard that the coaching staff talked to you about, about that game. Um, mm-hmm. How much did that help you and, and get that lesson learned in preseason as opposed to maybe in the regular season? Yeah, I mean, that was a turning point for me. Uh, I learned so much about decision-making, game management, focus, readiness, and yeah, in that moment, looking back, I'm like, oh man, I wish I had done something different. But 
really in hindsight, you know, I had to experience maybe a low point like that in order to build the the grit and the motivation and the discipline and determination to get better. And ever since that game, um, I've kind of it's kind of fueled me to work hard every single day and ensure that you know I, I don't put myself in those positions or our team in those positions. And so um, you know it makes me think about like maybe that was supposed to happen in order for me to learn that lesson and in order to grow. Right. So as hard as it was in the moment, um, I think everything happens for a reason and it was a big wake up call for me on the things that I need to work on and also for my career like oh, what direction I'm headed in am I going to allow that to affect the rest of the season and my confidence and um, my belief in myself or am I going to use that to get better and grow as a player um, and really just continue to keep developing because yeah. I think we're always learning, you know, yeah. as we uh, grow in the sport. And you've definitely rebounded in a, in a good way. And your appearances this season again have done a, a fairly good job. I don't recall any any major mistakes in the in the three games you've played: two in MLS and then one in the Open Cup. Now switching gears to the Open Cup, mm-hmm. I imagine you stand a good chance. Just me reading from the outside. If you got to start on in the first game against Miami FC, you got to start this past weekend. Maybe Phil's looking for to give you that that little bit of rhythm before going again on Tuesday. You guys are at home. You guys won the first game of the Open Cup against Miami FC, a hard-fought win. You guys were tested. I remember you were the the MV- I think Leonardo Campana, the, go- the goal scorers always get the love, but I think I think I think you were the M- you were the real MVP of that game because you kept Inter Miami from going down and even from from losing that game. So you you allowed Leonardo Campana to goal to stand as a winner because you kept in Miami uh, at, at on level terms. But that that said, with the chance to potentially start again on Tuesday, this time at home, I imagine you guys haven't done much video work yet, but what do you expect from Tuesday? Is this a game where Inter Miami has to focus on itself or or what do you think will be the key to Tuesday night? Yeah, I think just playing our game, regardless of who our opponent is, whether it's a USL League One team, a USL Championship team, or an MLS team, um, we have to play our game and we have to show out for our fans. It's home field advantage. Um, we're in we're in the next round, and regardless of who we're lining up against, we have to stick to our game plan and perform. Um, and yeah, we're in the MLS side facing a team in a lower league but at the end of the day like it's a game of soccer and anything can happen so we have to prepare ourselves mentally and physically um in order to come out with a win yeah and now how important is it for you guys to be obviously you guys are the mls team you guys are the favorites on paper i spoke to torment fc's coach he even said there's no hiding that there's a difference in quality from MLS team to, to Tormenta FC. So he's expecting you guys to have the ball. But with that, as we saw against Charlotte FC, how important is it to, when you have the ball, if you lose the ball, to quickly, very quickly get back into shape? I'm sure Phil has probably stressed that. If he hasn't, probably will tomorrow. Because, again, from the outside, we're imagining that you will have the ball. Inter Miami will have the ball. But mm-hmm. there will probably be times where you lose the ball with a bad pass or just a turnover that they force. And it's about that transition defense, which obviously proved costly against Charlotte FC. So how important will that transition defense be 
on Tuesday night, given that, again, you guys are expected to be the protagonists, the ones that are dictating the tempo? Yeah, I mean, it'll be huge, like, whenever there's a change of possession, you know, getting back into our compact shape or stopping the counterattack. Um, these are moments that teams can take advantage of. And so if we're organized and we're all on the same page and we're communicating, um, I think when, if and when we do lose the ball, that, you know, if we can react faster and cover each other, that uh, we will... We will give our chance of you know keeping the clean sheet and also getting 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 the ball back and maintaining uh, possession throughout the game. I, I don't know if you guys have had a real chance to discuss that as a team, but do you do you guys chalk that up the error on on Saturday? Do you chalk it up to just shutting off and not having the concentration as a group, or was it a little bit of fatigue at that point in the game? So obviously later on in the second half, a combination of both. What what do you attribute the the lack of defensive transitioning there, what that you guys have to make sure is there on Tuesday? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really just moments of the game and recognizing, um, you know, when when we maybe need to take a, a strategic foul. Um, maybe it's just simply we just need to get back faster. And I can't necessarily, necessarily say it's on one person because it's all sure. a team effort. But overall, it's just like the grit and the ruthlessness uh, to keep the ball out of the back of the net and to also put the ball in the back of the net. Um, and so that's something that, you know, above tactics and all that, we need to have the mentality of winning games. And that's just hard work, running for each other, covering each other, supporting each other. And these are all things that are controllable, and that's what we're going to focus on. Now, to begin rounding out, you guys had a new center-back tandem on Saturday with Christopher McVeigh and, and the debuting Ryan Saylor, who did a very good job. I thought that was one of the biggest challenges for you guys going into the game, given that that chemistry's not down pat yet, that the, you guys don't have those movements uh, synchronized to, an, to a high, high level because you guys haven't played with that group in meaningful games yet, but you guys held up well uh, for the most part. Tuesday, again, center backs are out. Damian Lowe is out with uh, with a red card. Jairo Quinteros returns. He was out for the MLS game, but he's he's around four selection for the Open Cup game. Regardless, whoever Phil Neville goes with, it'll probably be a new partnership. How confident are you in the guys you have in front of you, given performances like Saturday where you even have a debuting player, a rookie, and he's in there stepping in and doing a good job? Yeah, I mean, I'm confident in all my teammates. I mean, I know yeah, everyone shows up every single day. I know how hard everybody works. Um... I know everyone does their homework and, you know, I think, I think, you know, the communication factor is huge because, you know, when you support each other, when you, when you evaluate each other off the field and on the field, then your bond gets stronger. And that's something that we've been working really hard at is making sure that our bonds off the field are really, are really, really strong. So then when we get on the field, whether it's um, a new player in like a new position, someone who's debuting, that they have the confidence that the guy next to them is going to work hard for them, and the guy, uh, and they're going to work hard for the guy next to them too. So um, it's it's really just about you know supporting each other. And yeah, there's going to be moments where emotions may get high, you know, and you might have to um, you know get on each other. But at the end of the day, it's all because we like want to win. So um, there has to be the uh, yeah, support as well as just like a healthy form of criticism. You know, like we're all trying to get better, but sometimes you might need to be a little more stern with each other. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, Amay Mabik is also out probably because of the injury he picked up against the New England Revolution. 
Drake, before we let you go, I got two more for you. One mm-hmm. is on, obviously, I've asked you more defensive questions because you're a goalkeeper, you're back there. Communication is key, especially when you have new pieces coming in. But obviously, you need goals to win games. And this, this game, you guys are at home. Felt like you guys were at home last time against Miami FC because you, it felt like most of the stadium was in, in pink and black. Huh. However, again, home crowd will be behind you this time. You, you'll be dictating the tempo surely again, but that ball needs to go into the back of the net. Otherwise, we might see penalty kicks. How important is it for you guys to dictate the tempo? What kind of game should we expect from Inter Miami? Yeah, I think it's like a very, it's like, of course, calm and composed, but just like aggressive, you know, um, maintaining possession and the, and the other team's half. Um, and letting the ball do the work, really, and uh, just getting um, our attacking players in the right areas and the right in the right positions to get goals and really capitalize on the chances that we create. Um, and so, yeah, I think that again with home field home field advantage, uh, you know, we're gonna have some really good mo- some really good momentum, um, and we've actually been. Uh, having more training sessions in our stadium. So I think just like the general feeling that we have when we're on the field in the stadium, um, I think our team is getting more confident there. So I think just overall, just to expect a really hard-fought game and we're really going to do every, everything we can uh, from myself from myself all the way through to our number nine to uh, win the game and score goals and keep a shutout. Yeah. Then my last one for you, Drake, and we, again, we appreciate you for coming on here, is... Obviously, this game can go to penalty kicks if it's tied. So that that could be a big, big moment. And I like asking this question because, obviously, MLS games, you don't go to penalty kicks if the game finishes tied. Yeah. Have you guys practiced penalty kicks? Did you guys practice penalty kicks before the Miami FC game? Because, obviously, there's two schools of thought from coaches. One that says you have to practice penalty kicks just to get the the movements down pat, just the shooting. But there's there's another train of thought that says, well, you can't really replicate penalty kick pressure pack situation in training because there's not a stadium full of people around you there's not the the moment of of if you miss it you're out so uh did you guys practice penalty kicks before miami fc and have you envisioned or thought about that possibility at all yeah i mean we always have to prepare ourselves for whatever the game is going to bring sure. and of course in the open cup like you said like if it's at a tie through overtime that it can go to penalty kicks so yeah it, we may not be in a stadium full of cheering fans and the pressure may be a little different, but just even, you know, setting the ball on the spot, um, adding the muscle memory and the visualization to it, uh, you can, you can, um, you know, start to gain an edge in that moment of the game if it comes to that, you know? So, uh, yeah, practicing is huge regardless if, you know, it's in a game or not, because, you know, if we're able to practice PKs and, uh, guys are able to get the feeling and kind of get their steps right and, um, you know, practice that, just practice penalty kicks, and I think it's it's going to help if it, if it comes to that. And for a goalkeeper, of course, obviously, uh, you just, you're just stopping the shots. You won't, you won't practice against the opponents you might have in front of you, but it's still good to get those movements down pat as well. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's always um, just getting, like, the timing right, um, doing the homework, you know, trying to um, – Figure out if the player has any tells, uh, and just really just being confident in whichever whichever way you decide to go, and also you know in the moment, uh, just reading the player, and if you have a gut feeling or if you see something that may um, you know guide you towards one side, then just to be aware of all the little details because you never know 
uh, when when you might need to act on it. But, Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, all the details do matter, and Inter-Miami will play Tormenta FC on s- Tuesday. Tuesday. I keep getting my days confused. On Tuesday at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, a win-or-go-home match for both sides. Tormenta says their head coach said they're going to try to come out and, and play a bit. So it should be an interesting matchup. See who who uh, wins in that battle of chess. Drake, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, especially on Mother's Day. We really appreciate it. Good luck on Tuesday, and we will talk to you again very, very soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, and happy Mother's Day to all the, to all the mothers out there. That's Drake Calendar, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back after this. We could have we could have uh, Robert Taylor back. We could have Gonzalo Higuain back for Tuesday. So in terms of sort of like Mo Adams, Victor, uh, Victor Joa, Gonzalo, Robert Taylor, Emerson Rodriguez, uh, Jairo Quinteros is back. So we have got options to freshen up. Ariel Lester didn't obviously start today. So we've got options to, to freshen things up. But I would say I'm picking my strongest team. And it's a competition that we, we will not take for granted. This is going to be a real tough, a tough match against the team that we know, we know how they're going to play. It's their cup final, it's a banana skin, similar to the FC Miami game, where, where we've got to be at our absolute best and our absolute strongest, and we can't take any liberties. Okay, guys, it's time to preview Inter-Miami's U.S. Open Cup match at home at Dry Pink Stadium against South Georgia Tormenta FC, and it's time to do so from the other side. So who better to help us preview the game than Tormenta FC head coach Ian Cameron, who is a very, very young head coach at 33 years old. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? Doing grand. Thanks very much for having us. It's a privilege and our, our club appreciate the exposure. Yeah, thank you for giving us the time to preview the game because obviously Tormenta is a bit of an unknown for a lot of people in South Florida, a bit of a mystery in terms of what to expect. So who better to preview the game with than their head coach. Obviously, I don't expect you'll give us all the all the secrets that you have planned for, for Tuesday's game, but I will ask you, what kind of game should we expect overall? What type of game do you expect coming into South Florida? Inter-Miami's has been, they've, they've lost the last two, but they've been on a bit of a roll before that, so they've been inconsistent, but they've had some good moments as of late. What kind of game do you expect in a one-off match at Dry Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale? Well, look, we know the we know the quality of Inter Miami. Obviously, they're they're working through some things in the league just now, but they're certainly got a lot of quality throughout the field. They've got great coaching staff. We have some familiarity with them, having played their uh, second team last year in the USL One structure. Um, so we know the organisation. We're familiar with the field and so forth. But certainly, what you can expect from our boys is a full bloodied affair. We will go at them. We'll play. We'll be brave. Uh, we'll get numbers forward. We'll get numbers into the box. We'll defend in the phases that we have to uh, with rigor. Our boys are not going to be there to make up the numbers. They're going to have a right go at this game. They're going to make a really good account of themselves. And we're there to represent our organization, to represent USL1, and uh, to represent individuals on the field. And uh, we're really looking forward to the event. And you guys are coming off a scoreless draw with Charlotte Independence, but you've had a decent start to the season. Two wins, two draw, and one loss record. That's good enough for second place in the standings early, but a good start for you guys nonetheless. Now, for Inter-Miami, they obviously played in the last round against Miami FC, a fellow, another team that's in, in the USL pyramid. Inter-Miami came out on top, but they had their struggles. Miami FC had their chances in that game. Have you had a chance yet to watch some of the tape, analyze that game, or are you you're still in the midst of the preparation work? 
certainly still in the midst of preparation. I think but all all organisations, when you play every three, four days, you try not to get ahead of yourself. Sure. So um, after that last night's game, came home, the adrenaline running from the match, I always find it hard to get to sleep. So um, had the chance to sit and watch a couple of their games. One of them, I watched the Miami game in the Open Cup in the last game, and then I watched the game against Charlotte. And, and look, the, the reality is, yeah, it was a tough game for them, and Miami FC had quite a few chances. But A, Miami are a very good team. And B, it's a real banana skin tie to go away from home, mm. to play some young boys on the field. I saw Noel Allen and so, and so forth played. Um, to go there to an away field with an organisation that's going to be chomping at the bit to try and beat you, especially Miami Derby, that's, uh, that screams of a banana skin, that screams of an upset. And to navigate that game, even if it wasn't their best performance, it's still quite impressive. Um, so, we, uh, this is, you know, if your league play's not where you want it to be, then Inter Miami will be looking at the Open Cup as a, another avenue to maybe propel the season, another avenue to try and get into the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah. Um, and they'll be looking at a last 32 tie against the USL1 structure and thinking, well, that's something that we should and can get through. Yeah. So it's our job to go there and, and do it and, uh, and rewrite the game and do something different. Now, as far as your team goes, I remember when the draw happened and, and you guys landed with Inter Miami for this matchup. Uh, the social media of, of Tormenta posted a video of, of your team, the players, watching the draw and, and they were excited about the matchup. Obviously, like you said, you had a game on the weekend, so you're not going to. I'm sure they weren't looking too far ahead, but what's the sense you get about the team's overall mood heading into the game. Are they excited for this opportunity? Obviously, Inter Miami draws a lot of eyeballs because of ownership and the market. So, uh, you know, what's, what's the state of your team, do you feel, heading into into this Open Cup match? Oh, look, it's a really cool tie for the organization. I mean, it's a, it's a great stadium, a great fan base. And, and like you said, the hoopla that goes around the organization with the, some notoriety they have with their ownership and so forth and some of the key players they have. Um, but... Our guys, I mean, I don't know their mindset yet. I mean, I know coming tomorrow, um, as we travel down there, um, they're going to be really focused. The last time I left them, last night, they were on a field really disappointed not to win a football game. Um, we played well last night. Uh, we should have and could have won the game. Um, and we're disappointed not to walk away with three points. So that's where they were when I left them. I know when I see them later on today and into tomorrow, uh, they're going to be in a very different mindset. If they're not, it's my job to get them in the right mindset, but it's a mindset of disappointment. And then as soon as this turns around, when you have a frustrating game, there's nothing better to have another chance to, to get back on the field as quickly as possible. And um, there's not many more glamorous ties than having an MLS club away um, and everything that comes with that. So our boys are excited. They When the, when the draw was made, they were obviously really excited, but we did a good job of putting that aside. Mm-hmm. It, it, being in the present in the moment, right. enjoying the moment, deserved it. Um, and then putting that to the side, concentrating on the things that were ahead of us um, blossom up where our feet are and then uh, and now it's time okay. now it's time to get excited about it now we've got two days to mentally prepare there's not much physical preparation because we played last night so most of it will be tactical most of it will be with video and um, and prepare ourselves to go out and, and give uh, give absolutely everything come Tuesday night so I was going to ask what the preparation is like for a game like this because it's such a quick turnaround right you, you play Saturday night Intermind and play on Saturday night you have a day of recovery work I'm sure for, for the players where they do some regeneration and then Monday, the day before the game, light session, if if much of a, just a, a runaround. I mean, what, what, how do you approach it as a coach when there's such a quick turnaround um, in terms of the preparation? Is it, is it what I just laid out, or do you, you guys yeah, do you, a bit more? Yeah, you, you you're obviously a football guy because you know it. You know, it's, <laughs> that, that's what it is. Yeah. It's less is more, right? Mm-hmm. It's, the nice thing with our team and our boys is that we're not a team that really adapts too much to each opposition. Mm-hmm. We have a way of playing, both in possession 
and out of possession. We have a distinct style. We do what we do. And uh, yes, there'll be minor tweaks, and we always try to um, respect the opponent, appreciate the opponent. Obviously, Inter Miami is a whole different level than, than we're used to. Um, so that brings personnel things that we have to pay attention to. But at the same time, there's not any drastic changes or change information or anything that we'll be doing. And that maybe gives some away to Inter Miami, but we don't really care. Um, we are what we are. We're going to try and be perfect at it this season, get better and better and better at it. And, uh, and we'll go and, and give the best version of ourselves come Tuesday night. So we know what we're really good at. We know uh, where we have to protect ourselves. And uh, we're going to try to do that to the best of ability, no matter the opponent, on Tuesday night. I'm sure your fans Which will... Which makes it easier. I'm sure your fans will love to hear that because it sounds like you're going to take a brave approach, not necessarily uh, the pragmatic approach of sitting back and looking looking to counter. At least, at least from what from what we're hearing, obviously when the ball rolls, it's a different. It's a well, the boys thing. have energy in the legs. That's what we'll be doing. And then <laughs> I can't promise for 90 minutes we'll press the back side off, sure. but for uh, there will be large periods of the game. We'll we'll certainly play. We'll certainly press them. We'll certainly make it a really combative game. And uh, try to get um, you know bodies in behind their back line, in front of their back line, in their box. Um, so that's uh, that's what our fans have come to expect of us, and that's what the players have come to expect of themselves. Now, obviously, as a coach, I know this might be a tricky question. So, obviously, again, bit of a mystery for people in South Florida, generally speaking. Who are some of the players? I won't say key players, but I'll say who are some of the players that have been performing very, very well for you guys uh, so far this season. Well, look, the, our defensive record has been excellent so far, and we can't hide from that fact. We've had, I think, five clean sheets in a row, uh, yeah. which for professional soccer, and that's against two USL championship sides, the two teams that have been the perennial powerhouses um, within the USL one structure. Um, so, But that really comes from the front all the way to the back. So the, the whole unit has been uh, very, very good in that regard. Um, I think in the Open Cup, we've got a couple of key goals that have been scored by our striker, Arthur Brazil. We've got Two, two strikers are, are very strong, but mm -hmm. Arthur's got the nod in the Open Cup game so far for the heavier minutes, um, and he, he's managed to bag an important goal um, here and there for us. And you know, I think he's got cha USL Championship experience, um, a little bit more experience, a higher level than some of the other younger boys we have. Um, so you know, we're going to we're going to depend on him a little bit sure. um, on Tuesday night to to try to bang one in first and and um, and capitalise on, on the opportunities we get. We don't expect to have. 10 to 15 quality chances that we might have in USL one game. We'll probably have, if we play to the best of our ability, we'll probably have five or six very good chances in the game. And we have to rely on those front guys to to have the poise um, and, and be present in the moment to, to tuck one away. And um, and that's, I don't expect to lose many goals. Now, I might be sitting here with pie in my face <laughs> on Wednesday and we'll be thumped 5-0. That can happen when you're playing against a very quality opponent. But... If I was a betting man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't think our, our group's going to give up a whole lot. Um, Inter Miami have got quality and can, and maybe we'll score. But we anticipate if we can score one or two, and then we'll be very much in this game. So we'll depend on him. We'll depend on Kaziah Sterling coming off the bench potentially or starting the game. We'll see how how it goes on Tuesday night. Um, but we'll rely on one of those guys to have the poise um, to to put one home for us. Are you a coach that likes to? Have the players prepare penalty kicks for a situation that could arise in this game. Obviously, if it goes, if it's tied after uh, after after the ninety minutes, and then goes extra time, and it's still tied, penalty kicks are on the horizon. So, are you a coach that likes to have them prepare penalty kicks, or are you a coach that you know? There's obviously different philosophies. There's coaches that say you can't replicate the the feeling of a penalty kick shootout in training when there's no fans in the stands, when there's not that much pressure. Um, so, are you a coach that will have the team? Practice penalty kicks, or will you not have them? And if that situation arises, then they just go into it as they do. 
Well, I definitely subscribe to the notion that you can't replicate it. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, um, yeah, we practiced penalties before the previous two Open Cup games. Okay. Yeah, we absolutely have. I mean, part of our mantra in our organisation is to be the most prepared team possible and be the most united team possible. And that's a bit of our slogan. And um, part of being prepared is nutrition, sleep, all these things are training sessions, but part of it is the tactical piece and, and, and penalty kicks certainly fall into that. So we we will probably, uh, we have done it so far. We have a nice idea of, of who will probably take them, but we'll probably take a couple more on Tuesday night. And, and again, it's just the eye test sure. and guys um, guys often step up and Penenka and training and feel really good about themselves. And then uh, come the game time, you're not quite sure whether they'll do that or, or they're not. Um, so it's it's always it's, it's always a bit of element of that, but um, I certainly see no our staff see no harm in practicing these things and being prepared to the best of our ability, knowing that the heartbeat is going to be going thumping a little bit faster come the game time. But if that's the situation we're in, we'll have prepared for it, we'll have a mindset of it, and we'll have some last words, and uh, it'll be a pretty cool moment because that means we're potentially five six kicks away from advancing and that's a that's a position that we'll certainly like to be in I, I love asking that question because obviously with the way the seasons are structured you don't get many situations where penalty kicks are possible at least in the regular yep. season so i enjoy asking coaches that question just just to pick their brain a little bit of what their individual philosophy is now quickly to start rounding out and closing it out what do you expect from inter miami at home now it's, it's a team from my opinion my analysis that likes to counterattack doesn't necessarily feel the most comfortable when it has the ball. It does have dangerous players that are capable of unlocking a defense with the ball. But we saw against Miami FC, when they had the ball, they had struggle breaking uh, breaking Miami FC down. It's something that's happened over the course of the MLS season as well. They're, they're more, their strengths are more, and Phil Neville has said this, their strengths are more in when the other team comes at them and they leave those spaces in behind. They obviously have the speed with the likes of Ariel Lasseter, Robbie Robinson, DeAndre Yedlin, and, and now Indiana Vasilev as well to get in behind Look for those crosses into Leonardo Campana if he plays or uh, Gonzalo Higuain if he's back in the lineup. So what do you expect from Inter-Miami? Yeah, look, I think it's it's a, it's a difficult tie and it's a different dynamic because because we're USL1, by sure. the very nature of the type of players that they have, there is a golfing class, right? Mm -hmm. We're not hiding from that fact any stretch of the imagination. So kind of like what you denoted, most of the MLS play, it's hard to then decipher, okay, what will they look like against us? Because... Even though we'll press and even though we'll be really combative and, 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 and engage them, they're still going to have us pinned back at times. And that's just the reality of, of the golfing class. So so then there's not a whole ton of footage of them doing that to opposition. You know, they had some nice phases against Charlotte on Saturday. But again, most of that came in transition or Charlotte uh, turning the ball over in bad areas or bad zones and so forth. Um, and like you said, the pace that they have is uh, is uh, quite frightening watching it online. Um, hopefully, they're, hopefully, maybe I was just watching a fast-forwarded version. Maybe <laughs> hopefully, not, hopefully, they're not as fast as uh, I've been watching. But if they are, then we'll be ready for it, best of our ability. But um, yeah, that, that dynamic is going to be interesting. It's a, it's, a, it's a tough one for them to approach because it's not a normal game. Um, the, the ego of the players is going to kick into where they'll want to take the game. They're not going to accept a game plan that's going to counter-attack against a USL1 structure. It's just not... I'd be very, very surprised if it played out that way. Um, so it'll be a kind of role reversal. Um, you know, uh, Saturday we had 67% possession in our match. Um, and Inter-Miami, I think, were... Well, I think they were okay in possession-wise against um, Charlotte. But um, in, in most games, they've been on the other side. Mm -hmm. But come Tuesday night, it'll be different. Um, so that'll provide us opportunities to counter on them. Um, and it'll also provide... 
them opportunity to work on their build-up play, playing through lines and, and strangling us and so forth. So um, that dynamic of the game will be a little bit different for both sides. And um, we've certainly got a wee bit more experience on that end, having played higher opposition throughout this tournament. Sure. Um, but for them, that could could pose a little bit of a different um, problem to solve. And that kind of chess match will be a really interesting one. And I think you're right to kind of denote that factor is one of the key things to be watching out in this game and what will certainly give it a lot of intrigue. And then I have I have one more on a coaching philosophy standpoint. And this is maybe uh, not necessarily X's and O's on the field, but I'm curious as, as the coach. Because Phil Neville last last game against Miami FC, we asked him what, what his approach was for the game. It was obviously a derby game, the first time that the Miami FC played against Inter-Miami in a, in a meaningful match. And he said he was going to go full-strength lineup. Said he was going to go. They weren't in a position to go to not go full strength. And then when we saw the lineup, it was a bit more mixed, a bit rotated in terms of the personnel in the starting lineup. He has said now, leading into this game on Tuesday night, he's going to go full strength yet again. How much as a coach, as an opposing coach, do you put into what the coach that you're about to face says publicly? Do you do you fully buy in? Do you just listen to it and and then make your your judgments based on how you interpret it, or, or how do you view that as a as a head coach preparing for the next game? No, look, the, uh, we don't really give it much credence at all, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, you know, again, some of the things from the kind of journalistic viewpoint is, you know, some people may, he might have said he's playing the full-strength team. People's opinion maybe say, oh, that's not their full-strength team, but in their coaching staff's mind, that might have been the, the team that was performing the best during that week. You know, so just even though there's preconceived notions of who is the best player, highest-caliber player, who's played at the highest ring in the ladder and so forth. Um, coaching staff still sometimes see a certain lineup as the strongest team, and the fan base sometimes don't perceive it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that all being said, we don't really give it much thought at all. Okay. We'll we'll be focusing ourselves, and there's certainly some characteristics of their players that we have to pay close attention to. Their strikers are fantastic football player. Uh, both of the strikers that they have are sure. fantastic football players. Um, so certainly for the centre backs, we'll give them some details on on what some of the habits are of certain guys and. There will be clips that will be given to guys for different permutations that come and different qualities that they have to face, especially in the attacking areas. Um, but I, I would expect them to play full strength. I mean, the reality is the league play is not going where they wanted to go. And if they navigate this round against us, they're into the last 16. They're one of 16 teams left with a chance to win the, the Lamar Open Cup. That's sure. awesome. And everything that comes with it. Um, so they'll be, I anticipate, they'll try and start the game very, very strong, try and put this game to bed in the first half all the guns and then see if they have the opportunity to rotate a little bit in the second half our job is to change that dynamic our job is to force their hand to where they either have to play more guys or uh, guys are longer or the game's just a battle and then they have to make decisions on what they want to do but again we're not we're not there to change the narrative for them we're there to focus on our narrative we have a journey we have a story to tell for our community for our organization for the boys that are playing under our stewardship and, uh, and we're there to not make it the numbers, but to try to do something special against the odds. And uh, we plan to do so. We'll see. Absolutely, absolutely. And I asked that because Anthony Pulis, when we spoke to him after the last Open Cup game in Miami versus Miami FC, he said he was a bit surprised by the lineup they, they threw out there because he had heard the pregame comments from Phil Neville, and, and I guess he put stock into it that they would go full strength, and it was obviously a bit of a surprise when he saw the lineup. So I was just curious as to your, your approach to it. So just to round out, the final question I have for you is you are a young head coach, and anyone that can hear or anyone that's listening to this interview probably can guess that you're from Scotland. Just a little bit of your of your backstory. How did you how did you start into how'd you get into coaching to start and how'd you end up with South Georgia Tormenta? I know you've played I know you played professionally, but just for people that 
maybe aren't familiar or as familiar with your background or your backstory. What, how did you get to this point as a, as a young head coach? Because you could still be playing easily. Well, I, I think um, sometimes you talk about young head coaches and older head coaches, but a lot of that's determined on, on when your coaching career starts, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, for myself, most guys move out of the game for one or two reasons, either take a really bad injury and that prevents their professional career or they just didn't quite hit the grade. And for myself, I just wasn't quite good enough to reach the heights that, uh, in the professional game playing-wise. Um, obviously, things in my game, but at the same time, that that's what propelled my coaching career quicker, right? So um, <laughs> even though I'm maybe in coaching terms relatively young, sure. I've been around good coaches for quite a while. Um, my dad had an indelible mark on, on my career, um, having been a professional footballer himself and, and some of the philosophies that we share as a family. Um, so that was kind of a catalyst for me. And then I came over to the college soccer system over here and I was very grateful to um, Coach Brad Verzo, who was my mentor through college games and then gave me my first coaching job. And then quickly from there, I was, I was given opportunities in this country, which I'm very grateful for, to, to take teams and try things and be part of organisations that um, give young coaches a chance. And, and Darren, Nitra and Jeff and Elena, um, our owners, they, um, they provided me a chance at a very young age to, to take the reins of their professional club and uh, try to mould it into, into the vision of our community. And um, it's something I'm very grateful for. And we've got a young coaching staff in general. Most of us are about the same age as myself. So we're young and dumb and there's some things we're good at and they can relate with the players and there's some things we don't know what we don't know yet. So there's certainly mistakes being made along the way. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fun experience. Very grateful for the organisation for giving us this opportunity uh, to do these things. And uh, it's our job as young coaches on the staff to reward them for it do something special with this group and, and try to push the Tormenta brand forward and, and leave it better than we inherited it. And, and, you know, that's what we're working towards right now. And I can't call you young without mentioning your age. You're 33 years old. 33, pretty young. But now, as a Glasgow-born person, I have to ask, Celtic or Rangers? Well, my dad played football, so I'm... I'm I used to go to. He used to play for Partick Thistle and Aberdeen and submitted in a few different clubs. So I tend to support just the club that he played for. Uh, so okay. I'd have to say Partick Thistle is a third team in Glasgow. You might not know that. That was the team I'm, I'm probably most partial to and, and have the kind of strongest association with. Um, but I'll be honest, I was absolutely delighted to see Rangers uh, reach the, the cup final. I think it's amazing for Scottish football. Um, Celtic have been incredibly strong in the league this year. So. Um, I've I played at Rangers as a youth player, so I've been around a lot of old form matches and, and been around, and most of my pals sit either way. Um, but I just sit in the stands and just support Partick Thistle as my team. So nice. I low key when it comes to that. Very nice, very nice. Okay, Ian, thank you so much for the time and helping us preview Tuesday night's game between Inter Miami and Tormenta FC. Wish you the best of luck. We'll see how it all plays out. And again, thank you very much. Thanks ever so much for having us. We appreciate you. All right. We'll talk soon. We'll take a quick break, everybody. We'll come back after that and we'll do the Q&A session. But we'll do that after this. Okay, guys, we hope you enjoyed those interviews. I thought the Drake Callender anecdote with regards to that preseason game in which he committed a couple of costly errors and that cost him to remind me the game and has now catapulted his, his strong response. I thought that was a very interesting and very revealing and very insightful 
part of that interview. But I, I, I enjoyed both of those chats. I hope you guys did as well. Let's quickly jump into the Q&A session because we've gone along on this podcast. So let's just do a couple if that's okay. We're going to start with Fighting Herons. Did you find it odd that Vasilev went straight into the lineup after just arriving this week? He looked good, but missed out on a couple of key opportunities to score. Steve, this goes back to what we talked about in the first segment. No, no, I don't think so. I think they they know what he brings. Uh, I think he did well in that first spell, um, and yeah, just that lack of lack of options and just needed that spark. You know, he's probably thinking, you know, if he comes in, maybe he could provide a spark for Robbie Robinson, blah blah. And if Campagna wasn't hundred percent fit, then they give him more options. So no. Okay. Uh, I, I will reiterate, I don't think it's odd. I just think it's a byproduct of Inter Miami and Phil Neville and his staff looking for more production in the final third because they're not getting enough of it consistently from Ariel Laster and Robbie Robinson. And when you're a team that relies on the service from the wings, you need more from those spots. So definitely thinking the Vasilev is being looked at as a potential solution to more consistent play. Doesn't mean he's going to be the most consistent player you've ever seen on Inter Miami, but if he can give them more than Ariel Lasseter, one of Ariel Lasseter and Robbie Robinson are, are giving right now, then that's that's a positive for the South Florida side. Next one comes from Polish Miami. He said, I just wanted to congratulate Drake for such a solid performance against Charlotte, especially his positioning, which was top tier. He couldn't do much more to prevent them from scoring. So not really a question, more of a comment, and, and Drake Calendar is no longer on the, on the pod. So we'll relay the message, though. We'll relay the message. He's speaking in advance of the game against Tormenta. So we'll relay that message. Let's do one more here. Steve, and it's from Dos Nose. Gibbs was so poor in the final third, he missed two clear-cut opportunities and gave up defending on the goal. Considering we have Joven Jones and McVeigh that can play that position, should we look to move him? No, I mean, it's not his job to score goals, is it? I think he did pretty did pretty well. Remember, he's also coming back from, a, from an injury. We spoke to him. Uh, last week, he was more excited about the basketball than anything else, I think. But um, he, uh, no, he's coming back from injury. I think he just offers good, good, good width down that down that side. He's, he's decent on the ball. Uh, you know, goals on his on his strong point. But if he can weigh in with two or three a season, then that's that's great. But yeah, just you could see he was so frustrated. I think after the after the second one, you know, he really thought that you know felt that he should have scored. And it was a great great opening for him. But um, no, I mean, I, I don't. I don't think the other guys you just mentioned coming in would just guarantee that there's going to be goals as well. It's just, uh, you know, um, it's not not always a given, is it? And there's a couple of things I want to touch on here from Dos Nose's question. Should they look to move him? I agree with you, Steve. I don't think so yet. There are questions of as to whether he's injury prone because he has missed a lot of time since joining Inter Miami because of different injuries. So I, I, you know, if you want to move on from him because of that. Uh, that I would understand is more of an argument. But I liked what I saw from him in this game against the expansion side. Yes, he did not finish. And yes, he should have put at least one of them away. But like Steve said, unless you're a very special type of fullback, you're not really counted on to score goals that often. That's not your forte. That's why you're a defender. If your forte was scoring goals, you'd probably be in the attacking in the attacking third as a winger or, or, or somewhere else. So, yes, he should have finished one at least one of those. That would have changed the whole course of the game, the whole complexion of the game. But I liked what I saw in terms of the the added football he gave the team. Now he gave them uh, an overlapping 
fullback threat that they don't have on the left when Christopher McVeigh plays there because Christopher McVeigh is more of a stay-at-home, unnatural left back. He's a center back. So I like what I saw from Gibbs. He absolutely should have finished one of them. As for the giving up the, uh, the, the goal, he gave up defending on the goal, he might have been tired at that point because, again, this was his first start in a while, in a while. And I think... Phil Neville may have waited a bit too long to make that substitution. And he makes this, Phil Neville makes the substitution of Jovan Jones for Kieran Gibbs immediately after the goal. Maybe that sub was coming. Maybe it was already in the works. But it came a tad bit too late because obviously Inter-Miami gave up the game-winning goal. So I, I, I think there Phil Neville has some responsibility as well for that, for that goal that Charlotte FC scored. Although again, great stuff from Jordi Reyna there on the left flank. Uh, to attack the space and whip in the cross to the back post and then Shinyashiki with with a good finish. So we'll leave it there for the Q&A session. Primo, quickly give us your final thoughts. I'll give mine and we'll wrap up the show after that. Well, yeah, just a final thought going back to the to the Grand Prix. You know, Miami was the center of the sort of sporting globe. I know people, some a lot of people here don't really appreciate F1 as much as people in, in Europe, but um, it just shows the, the pull, you know, the, the sort of the, the celebrity pull of, of this area. And, you know, all these superstar, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, the lot, Serena Williams, Venus Williams. And that is why. Bad Bunny. <laughs> bad, bad Bunny, yeah. I mean, as long as Bad Bunny's there, you know, Bad Bunny's a thing. But um, I think, you know, I had a shout in the week. James Rodriguez was supposed to be, is on, on Inter Miami's radar, of course. You know, I'm sure there's a long way to go in that. But that just shows you that with this club, where they are and their ownership, they are going to attract the the superstar the superstar names which is brilliant for us and also great for, for the team and, and the fans now whether or not they can get these deals over the line James Rodriguez wants is playing in guitar he wants he wants to leave his wages potentially could be problematic he's on about eight million eight million dollars a year um, so there's a few little hurdles but um, you know there potentially could be a little bit of wiggle room depending what happens with Bizarro at the end of his loan spells so bottom line is people want to come here big names will always be linked and long may that continue my final thought is on history being made. An MLS team, yes, at long last won the CONCACAF Champions League. Of course, a Peruvian striker led the way in Raul Ruiz Diaz with two goals in the victory. Seattle Sounders beat Pumas 3-2-0 and 5-2 on aggregate at home last week on Wednesday night after we recorded to make MLS history again, the first MLS franchise to win the CCL, as it's also known for short. So kudos to Seattle Sounders. A big win, a big moment for soccer in the United States, a big moment for Major League Soccer. And it's a moment worth enjoying and celebrating if you're MLS. However, however, the bar has now been raised for MLS teams. This cannot be a one-off. This cannot be a one-time thing. This is now the standard. And this is something that teams have to strive for and push for on a consistent basis. It can't be another 15 years or 15 competitions before an MLS team wins another one of these. So you've met, you've, you've hit a certain standard. Now you have to continue to strive to meet that standard on a consistent basis. If you're MLS, but that does it for this first edition of the pod this week. We'll be back again later in the week to recap and analyze the match against Tormenta FC, and we'll preview the game against DC United that's coming up on the weekend. So, for Steve El Primo Brenner, I am Franco Panizo. You have been listening to Miami Total Football Radio, and we'll talk to you guys in a